Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. All right, good morning, Christ Community Church. And Matt, um, if you're watching, I'm sorry, they seem a little more amped up for me than they do for you. Um, just to give you guys a little bit of introduction on myself, my name's Nathan. You may know me by my last name, Wolf, or Kayla's husband, or Carter's dad, Matt and Megan's brother-in-law, the big guy with the bald head and beard. Um, however you know me, thank you for taking time to listen to me this morning. Um, I want to thank all of you guys that have been praying for me. I was involved in a motor vehicle accident March 30th. Um, I was in the hospital for a few days. I thought I walked away with some minor scrapes and bruises, but uh, from what they're telling me, that I was actually pretty close to losing my, not, losing my life. Dave Kelly told me, he's like, man, that's a heck of a way to try to get out of preaching. But, uh, you know, I'm very, very blessed to be here. I want to thank you guys for praying for me. And I ask that you guys continue to pray for me and pray for my wife. I've been milking it for everything that I can, and she's, she's about done with me, so... <laughs> um, just a little backstory on me. I've been coming to Christ Community Church now probably the last six or seven years. Um, I would say the last five or six years of that, I've been involved with the children's ministry, everything from the nursery all the way up to the upper room, something I've really, really enjoyed. And I would say within the last three years, I've been on the security team. And I really, really enjoy volunteering here at Christ Community Church. Um, I've never really had an inclination to be a pastor, to be a preacher. Um, however, my wife and I, about two years ago, started pursuing our degrees at Liberty University. We actually graduated in December. I graduated with a bachelor's in religious apologetics, and Kayla graduated with a bachelor's degree in biblical and theological studies. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Like I said, that, that being said, I never really had an inclination to be a pastor, to be a preacher. And I remember coming on one Saturday evening, probably seven, eight months ago, and Scott was saying, we need bold men to step up to be pastors, to be preachers. And he was staring a hole straight through me. And I'm like, huh, I wonder who he's talking about. And, you know, the Holy Spirit's coming up behind me and hitting me in the back of the head. He's talking about you, dummy. He's telling you to step up. So I went and I, I talked to Megan. I was like, hey, I don't want to be a pastor. I don't want to be a preacher. She's like, what? I was like, you know, Scott pretty much called me out from the pulpit this evening. And I don't want to do that. And she's like, so why are you telling me? I'm like, because I feel like I need to. I feel like he was, he was telling me to do that. I felt like I was being led to do that. And I had a lot of hesitancy in that. So a few months go by, we graduate. Now I got a piece of paper saying that I know what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> that's debatable. But Megan calls me and she says, hey, we're going to be out of town the first weekend of May. We're going to need someone to preach. And I've put your name in the hat. I said, oh, okay, cool. So, you know, we prayed over it, and a few weeks went by. 
close to a month. We hadn't heard anything. It was getting closer to time. I was like, oh, I won't, I won't be preaching. No big deal. And Megan calls me, and she says, hey, you're going to be preaching. When we're gone, it's going to be on Jonah. I was like, oh, cool, Jonah and the well. You know, we all know that story from, from growing up. It's a, it's a kid's story. We always teach our kids. And she's like, yeah, you're going to be preaching over Jonah 4. I was like, okay, cool. So I started reading Jonah 4, and I was like, well, you know, this really isn't in the kid's story that we're used to. But anyway, I'm, you know, I'm really excited to preach over it. So the more and more that I read over this, the less excited I got. You know, I rode this, rode this high to the top, and I'm terrified of heights, probably more so than Matt is of the beach and sharks. And, you know, Megan told me that, and it was like riding the roller coaster to the top. I was fine, 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 fine. I get to the top, and I'm looking down, and I realize what this text is about. I'm like, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to go over this hill. I don't want to make this crest. I don't want to take this plunge, because this is a very difficult text. Not to understand or hard to decipher, but it's a very hard pill to swallow. And it was something that I was really, really wrestling with. And I'm like, I don't, I don't want to address this, especially not in front of my church. And I can tell you, after being in a motor vehicle accident where I was hit by a bus, that Jonah 4 is the spiritual equivalent of that. So I'm going to try to make this as quick and as painless as I can this morning. Um, I cannot promise either one of those things. So like I said, we'll be in Jonah chapter 4. If you want to get your phones out and pull that up or open your Bibles to Jonah chapter 4. While you guys are doing that, I'm going to do a quick refresh of what we've done the last three weeks. So we know the typical story of Jonah. Jonah is told by God, hey, you're going to go preach to Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria. And the Assyrians were pretty brutal people. I mean, they were just absolutely horrible. Anything that was in their path, they destroyed. They took what they wanted. They pillaged everything. And Israel was on their warpath, and Jonah was like, no, I don't want to go there. I'm not preaching to these guys. So Jonah tries to skip town like God's not going to know where he's at. God knows where Jonah's at at all times. He knows where we're at all times. Like my wife, she's got a tracker on my phone. So she knows where, she knows if I'm somewhere I shouldn't be. Like if I'm trying to sneak through Taco Bell, she'll call me up. She's like, hey, you better bring me something home. <laughs> so God knows where Jonah's at at all times. He knows where we're at at all times. And kind of like Jonah, I was trying to escape from preaching this. Not that I wasn't going to, but I, I wanted to run away. I wanted to get away, and I knew that I couldn't. So Jonah jumps on a ship, and he's trying to flee, and he's on this ship with these pagan sailors that are very experienced in what they do, and while they're out at sea, they get met with a storm, and these sailors are very experienced, but they've never experienced a storm like this, and they're panicking, and Jonah's just below deck taking a nap, no big deal. So at this point, Jonah has ample opportunity to tell these pagan sailors about his God, but he chooses not to. He says, just throw me overboard. So he gets thrown overboard, and the fish swallows him up, and he's thankful that the, the fish swallowed him up and spews him out on land. He's thankful that God was with him through that, and God tells him, you're going to go and still preach to the Ninevites. So he does, and Jonah's hoping that 
the Ninevites, the city of Nineveh, will be destroyed by God. He wants justice for what they've been doing, justice for the war crimes that they've been committing. But we see that the Ninevites repent, and they ask for forgiveness for what they've done. Jonah's pretty been out of shape about that. So, to just jump right into Scripture, chapter 4, it's 11 quick verses. I'm going to burn through this really quick, and then we'll talk about it. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry, so he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you were a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn your back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. The Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry about this? So God's immediately checking Jonah. So then Jonah goes out to the east side of the city, and he made a shelter to sit as he waited to see what would happen. He still had hope that the city would be destroyed. And the Lord God arranged for a leafy plant to grow there, and soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun, and this eased his discomfort, and Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But God also arranged for a worm. The next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away and died. And as the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and he wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. Then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry that the plant died? Yes, Jonah retorted, even angry enough to die. Then the Lord said, you feel sorry about the plant, that you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and died quickly, but Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in it that don't know their right hand from their left, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? Now, there's a couple interesting things there in verse 11. God tells Jonah that there's 120,000 people there that don't know their right hand from their left. And some scholars will tell you that he's referring to children below the ages of three and four, which would imply that there's over 600,000 people in the city of Nineveh. But I tend to disagree with that. I I go with the, the other school of thought that God is using an idiom here stating that they don't know right from wrong. There's 120,000 people there that don't know right from wrong. They have no moral compass. See, it's one thing to have tasted and turned, and we see that with Jonah. He knows God's compassionate. He knows God has unfailing love, but he tries to run away from it. The Ninevites, they'd never known God. They were, they were Gentiles. They weren't Jews. They didn't know God of the Bible, but the second they did, they turned away from their sin and immediately repented. Jonah's pretty upset about that. And then there at the end, he kind of jabs Jonah a little bit, and he says, well, you know, you don't feel sorry for the people you felt sorry for the plant. Maybe you'll feel sorry for the animals. Shouldn't I spare the city for at least the animals? So, you know, God's kind of got that, got that sense of humor there, just trying to, trying to put the knife in Jonah and twist a little bit. But we see, you know, Jonah's got this woe is me attitude, that teenage angst. I'm not getting what I want. I'm not getting my way. Woe is me. I want to die. He's like that overreactive teen. My, 
daughter Carter, she's seven, going on 17, and she acts a lot like Jonah. But we read Jonah and we think, he's a chump, right? We're not like that. We don't act like that. Well, let's look at some of our inconveniences. For example, you know, Jonah had the plant. When we get a new phone and we're walking across the parking lot and it slips out of our pocket and hits the pavement and spider webs. We're like, you know, what was me, God? Why, why did my brand new phone that I just paid all this money for have to shatter? Or you're at work and, and the, your annoying coworker got the promotion over you. You know, why, why did they get that promotion? Why not me? Or maybe, maybe you have a favorite sports team and they get right up to the end and they blow it. Or, you know, we just got done with, with March Madness. You know, first round, you got, you got your bracket ready and first round, they blow it. You're like, God, woe is me. Why is this happening to me? Why can't things go my way for once? See, we're more concerned about the inconveniences, but we're not concerned about those that have not heard the gospel. We as Christians have to share the gospel even with those we disagree with. You know, I'm a Bengals fan, and it's hard enough for me to share the gospel with Browns fans. And God forbid if you're a Steelers fan, right? But seriously, what about people that we don't agree with? Maybe, you know, oh, they're conservative. I don't, I don't want to share the gospel with them. Or they're liberal. I don't want to share the gospel with them. Or, you know, they might be pro-choice or they're part of the LGBTQ community. I don't want to share the gospel with them. Maybe they're a drug addict or a drug dealer. Maybe they're a murderer. Maybe they're a rapist. I don't, I don't want to share the gospel with those people. But maybe you're different. Maybe you're like, yeah, I could do that from a distance. But what happens when that hits a little closer to home? What happens when those things, especially, you know, say a loved one of yours was murdered? Would it be easy for you to forgive the murderer for what they've done? You know, we, we tend to think, yeah, yeah, I could do that. You know, I'm, I'm a pretty good Christian. You know, I'm a chief among sinners here, but if I was a betting man, I would say we'd all struggle with that. I know that I do. See, we're a lot more like Jonah than we'd like to admit. Like Jonah, he likes grace for himself but not for others. And we see that with the pagan sailors. He had an ample opportunity to tell the sailors about how powerful his God is. And rather, he said, just throw me overboard. And they continued to worship their false gods. But Jonah was very, very appreciative when God saved him with the fish and was with him while he was in the fish, and the fish spewed him out on land. And then Jonah arrives in Nineveh, and he hates the Ninevites, and he wants to see them pay for their crimes. But then he goes out to the city and he's waiting for God to destroy the city and he's very appreciative of the plant. But Jonah just wants justice for the war crimes carried out, right? He knows that Israel's on the war path of the Ninevites. He's like, God, I don't want my people destroyed. I don't want my family, my friends destroyed. The Syrians are terrible people. I want them destroyed. You may argue that Jonah's having some righteous anger there, right? But I would argue that's unrighteous anger. There's a quote in your bulletin that says, Anger is the emotion you feel when your expectation of justice is not met, or in other words, 
It is the emotional response to a failed justice or missing righteousness. He wants Nineveh destroyed. He doesn't want his people to be killed off by the Assyrians. See, holding on to that anger makes us feel good. It makes us feel like we're still in control. Because when we let that, let that go, when we let that injustice go, we feel like we've been completely wrong. But as long as we hold on to that anger, we hold on to that grudge, it makes us feel like we still have some bit of power. And really, they, that really has power over us. That sin has power over us. To relinquish that anger is to let those injustices go, and we feel like we've been wronged. It's not easy to let, let those things slide. Like I said earlier, you know, we all tend to think that we're pretty good Christians and we could forgive someone, something from afar, but when it's close to home, it's a lot harder. Man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you an example from my personal life that I really struggled with and why I really didn't want to address this text. And I feel like this was God holding my feet to the fire, that it's been enough time that I needed to do this. In 2018, a close family friend of ours passed away very suddenly. We went to his funeral. We mourned his death. Loved on his family. A couple days after the funeral, we heard an anonymous rumor that this man had been abusing children in the in-home daycare that he ran with his wife. Now, our daughter had been going to this daycare from when she was very, very young, a couple months old, to about three and a half when we put her in preschool. We thought, no, not this man. I looked up to this man. This, this was a good man. He was a close family friend. He was like a second grandfather to our daughter, or a third grandfather to our daughter. And we were like, why, why can't this man just rest in peace? Why can't this family just mourn and grieve? Why, why do these rumors have to come about? And this is about a week after that, the woman came forward with her, with her story, with her daughter's story. My wife and I read the story, and we immediately called this lady because we knew that she wouldn't be one to just spread false rumors, that there had to be some truth to this. So we call and we talk to her, and, and she tells us everything. We couldn't believe it. We still had some skepticism, like Jonah had skepticism. We're like, no, no. And she, she gave us some names of the children that her daughter had mentioned that had been abused, including her own daughter, and our daughter wasn't named. And we're like, well, you know, maybe, maybe not. You know, maybe this is just some big story. We were still holding on to that little, little glimpse of hope. And it wasn't until the detectives walked into my wife's work and showed her evidence that our daughter had been abused. From about nine months old to three and a half years old, our daughter was abused by this man, among many other children in the home. Kayla calls me and I was at work. I held it together the best I could, but I walked outside and dropped to my knees and just started screaming. Those children were innocent. And now I knew that this man wouldn't face justice because he had already passed. 
I was devastated. My wife was devastated. We didn't tell anybody for a little while. We told our, our family and our close friends. We didn't come to church for a few months. We were just like zombies, just, just trying to get through it. Like Jonah, we were so angry to the point that we wanted to die. And I really struggled with anger, and I believe that some of that was righteous anger. But I can tell you right now that that anger quickly bled into unrighteous anger. And I would argue that anyone in that position, it would be hard to find that dividing line. And I was really, I was really upset that this man didn't face justice. But after a couple of months, after a couple of months of not having to volunteer at the church, you know, Kayla and I started coming back to church. We were volunteering. We'd be in the nursery or we would be in the upper room or security duty. And I remember getting to sit in on my first sermon after all this had happened, and Matt was preaching on justice and witnesses. And Matt was going over his sermon, and he said, you know, people have been wronged, and Justice will be served in one of three ways. Either one, they'll face justice here on earth. Two, when they die, they'll have to stand before the Creator and bear the weight of their sins. Or three, justice was served at the foot of the cross. Well, I wrote out the first one because he was already gone. I ignored the third one. I was like, all right, you know, justice was served. He died and he had to stand before the Creator and he had to bear the weight of all of his sins. I completely ignored the third part. I didn't want grace for that man. I didn't want grace for that family. I wanted them all to suffer what my daughter suffered, what my wife and I suffered, what all these children suffered and their family suffered. I wanted him to suffer. I wanted justice but we must forgive those who sin against us as God forgives us who have sinned against him I see when these allegations started coming forward and the, the anonymous rumors that they had already started an investigation on this man and I, I, he he lost his lost his job and and various other things was was coming about because of the allegations. And there's a chance that he could have repented. The weight of his sins could have finally hit him, and he realized how wrong that he was, and he could have came to Christ. I didn't want to accept that. I didn't want to accept that justice could have been served at the foot of the cross. I wanted him himself to bear the weight of his sins, but those sins very well could have been bared on the cross. See, we're, we're all sinners. We're all enemies of God. And even though that we've, we, we don't deserve that grace and mercy, God has extended that to us. 
So who are we to not extend that same grace and mercy to those that we think that don't deserve it? There's a quote at the top of your bulletin from C.S. Lewis. He says, when we are wronged, we think we are absolutely innocent and those that have wronged us are absolutely vile. But in reality, we're all sinners. That's Jesus and then everybody else. God has infinite grace for his enemies. We're all sinners. We're all broken people. We have all sinned. And the punishment, or sin is, is treason against God. And the punishment for treason is, is death. We all deserve death. We're all guilty of that. We should all bear the weight of our sins. But God had gracious mercy for us when we deserved it the least. We see that God saved Jonah who was drowning in his sin and, and he was literally drowning in the ocean as he tried to run away from God. And Jonah is very aware of God's gracious mercy. God also saved the Ninevites who were drowning in their sin, but they didn't know it until it was revealed to them. Jonah is blind to see that that same grace that saved him saved the Ninevites. He was blinded by his unrighteous anger. I was blinded by my unrighteous anger that very well could have stemmed from righteous anger. But like I said, it, it definitely bled into some unrighteous anger. And I really wrestled with that for a long, long time. And like I said, there's a good chance that this man could have came to faith after his sins were revealed to him, just like the Ninevites. God has shown his grace and mercy to each and every one of us. And we as Christians, we must show that same grace and mercy to others, even those that have wronged us, even those we feel that don't deserve it because we didn't deserve the grace and mercy that God has given to us. Church, I can, I can sit up here before you today and tell you that as I've worked through this sermon, I've forgiven that man and his family for what they've done. My wife's got a saying that, that she likes to say a lot that Rome wasn't built in a day. We're nearing three years since we've found all this out about our daughter. And it's not been easy. And we as Christians are to imitate Christ. We're to lead by example. Therefore, my hope and prayer today is that, and I know every one of you that are sitting here this morning has someone in the back of your mind that you're thinking of that's really wrong to you. My hope and prayer is that you start taking those steps to forgive that person, whether it be a brother, sister, mother, father, a friend, a stranger, your spouse, We've all had someone that has severely wronged us. But we as Christians, we have to forgive them. We have to move on. 
God tells us to. God doesn't tell us to just forgive the little things and he'll deal with the big things. Paul tells us in in Ephesians 4.32, forgive others as Christ has forgiven us. Not only that, Jesus tells us in Matthew 5.44 that we have to pray for our enemies. Pray for those that have wronged against have done wrong against us. So my hope and prayer is that we as Christians, we lead by example and we move forward and start taking the steps that it takes to forgive those that have wronged us. And there may be some people here this evening, or this this morning that don't know Christ or those listening in to the live stream that don't know Christ. I want you to know, like the Ninevites, God has gracious mercy for you. It doesn't matter how wrong you think, how much wrong you think you've done, how far gone you think you are. God has infinite grace, love, and mercy for you. He's already paid that price. Before he laid the foundation of the earth, he knew that he was going to send Christ to the cross to pay a price that we couldn't pay ourselves. There's hope at the foot of the cross for each and every one of us. We've all been forgiven, and we don't deserve it. So we must forgive others for what they've done. I hope that was as quick and painless as you all hoped. (laughs) Thank you, guys. Thank you. All right. So I wrapped this up super early, so we're going to beat the Baptists and everyone else to the restaurants this morning. (laughs) So I'm going to end with prayer. So if you'd bow your heads with me, please. Lord, we just want to thank you that you've given us this undeserved grace and mercy for each and every one of us. We want to thank you that despite us being in the darkest part of our our lives, you pulled us from the muck and you said, I love you, I forgive you. I want to thank you that I was able to come up before the church this morning and preach over Jonah 4. And I want to thank you that you laid this message on my heart and you helped me walk through this. And I pray, Lord, that I could lead by example for my church. And Lord, I I pray that if I said anything here this morning that is contrary to your word, I pray that it falls on deaf ears. But Lord, if I spoke any amount of truth this morning, I pray that it pierces the hearts of each and every one of us, myself included. For those of us that are Christians, I pray that it pierces our heart in a way that we can begin to forgive those that have wronged to us. And Lord, I pray that it pierces the hearts of those that don't know you as their Lord and Savior yet in a way that will change their lives forever, that they come to know you as their Lord and Savior. 
Lord, we thank you, and I pray that we glorify you in all that we do. It's in your heavenly name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Christ Community Church. Thank you. We hope to see you guys next week. Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.